This episode is sponsored by Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather, tools and all your other leather working needs. Specialise in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo and many others. They ship internationally and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au Welcome back to another episode of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Peter Nitz. Peter is based in Zurich, Switzerland, and makes bespoke luxury leather goods for his clients. Each product is unique and is a culmination of hours of craftsmanship. He also teaches students in his atelier and has online leather courses where no matter your skill in leather craft, you can take your first steps in learning how to make luxury leather goods. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Joseph. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, thanks for your time. So... What got you into leather craft? Um, actually, it was just kind of happened. Um, I always enjoyed making stuff ever since I was a little kid, but I never really got serious about arts or crafts or anything like that. Just as kind of a hobby, I was doing it. And then, I guess it's been about 13 years ago now, I met um, in Paris an Hermes craftswoman. And I said to her, like, oh, it's so cool. I always wanted to learn how to work with leather, but I never really wanted to start because I didn't know how to do it the right way. And she said, oh, that's great. If you really want to know, I have my holiday in August, and I'll come to a week, or I'll come for a week to Zurich and bring some tools and just show you the basics of how to work with leather. So this was, of course, after, like, a few drinks and everything. I didn't think it would actually happen. People make lots of promises after you've had a few drinks. But she actually did come and yep, showed me all the basics of saddle stitching and edge finishing. And from there, I was beyond hooked. I actually went a bit crazy yeah. and uh, knew that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing when you first get into leather work. Uh, it's... It's quite daunting at the start and like because there's so many tools and you make so many mistakes of buying the wrong tools and tools mm -hmm. break and then there's leather and which leather to use and you just just um yes especially back then there was no instagram there was no references there weren't like you know a million other leather workers around so i had to i literally had to like go to Paris and find an atelier of someone that was working and like find out, okay, what kind of thread is this? Where can you get edge paint or all of those kind of things? The resources out there were extremely limited at that time. Yeah. So how, so where did you, what leather was available to buy? Did you still um, have the vegetable tan and... Well, at, at that time, you know, I was really focused on exotics from the very beginning. So um, there is, there was a tannery, or there still is a tannery in Switzerland for mainly exotics because they do uh, croc and lizard for watch straps in Switzerland because of the, the watch industry here. So I was lucky that there was this tannery that would do, like, one-off skins for me. I didn't have to order, like, you know, a big batch of... 20 hides um, they would just custom dye me single skins um, and they there's also another uh, like leather reseller here and at the beginning I didn't do too much in regular leather but I did buy some leathers from there that's so that's basically where I got started here 
just locally in Switzerland. Yeah. It was only like, like maybe a year or two later that I first went to Linnea Pella to the big trade show to check out and find like where all the big tanneries were and what I could get. Yeah. So you started straight in exotics, straight off the bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first, the first like full big bag I made was like a big crock tote bag. <laughs> wow. That would have been like coming down to like a smooth leather, like, you know, a vegetable tan would have been so much easier, like from working <laughs> from alligator. Cause I don't, I've never touched it before. I've never used alligator. Um, it's honestly not that yeah, much, it's... it's not that much different. I mean, you just have to be aware of the scales, you don't and have... the pattern and, and the layout, what pieces to use, but otherwise with the stitching and creasing yeah. and gluing and everything, it's not that much different. So it's not a big thing for the stitches to sink into the... Middle. Well, yeah, you never get the stitching as, you know, it's an uneven surface on, on croc and on exotics, so it never, the stitch doesn't ever lay as perfectly as it would on a smooth veg tan leather, but that's just part of okay. part of how it is. Yeah. Um, I heard that you were, you were like reselling luxury bags and as a sort of a side business, and that was sort of one of your ways that you sort of took apart bags and saw how they were constructed. Mm. Do, do older luxury bags, are they different to the newer versions? Like the Hermes bags well, from like 30 years ago, are they different to? Yeah, actually the resale business wasn't a side business. That was my actual career. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's, what I, sorry. that's what I was doing. Yeah. So I saw, you know, I, I had one of the first online resale shops for luxury goods and I had a shop here in, in Zurich and in Paris for resale goods so I saw pretty much every single model vintage and new coming coming through the shops um, that I could in, inspect and see how they were constructed and stuff but I did obviously I didn't take those apart because I needed to resell them but um, I did you know if, if I would find like a completely trashed Kelly bag or some other interesting vintage bag I would take it apart and see see how it was constructed but um, as far as your question whether they're made better older um, I would say probably yes you can see where over as time time goes on they need to be making them faster and faster I also know from I do have some inside connections to Hermes <laughs> and I know that some of the craftsmen that made Birkins and Kelly's, they had many, many hours to complete them like 20 years ago. Um, the one told me they had 35 hours to make a Birkin bag. And currently now they have 13.5 hours to make a Birkin <sighs> bag. So that's wow. a big difference in what you can do as far as making sure that, you know, your edges are perfectly finished and everything is really precise. Um, and also just aside from that, just from looking at the bags, you can see there are, there are certain things that they skimp on that to be honest, the end customer doesn't really notice. Let's say the average end customer doesn't really notice, but, um, a professional would and does see it. Yeah. So that's like, I feel, I feel bad if like my tea pockets, like are not hand stitched, like if I'm making a like machine stitched or hand stitched bag. I mean, wallet or something like that. If my, 
if my outside edges are hand stitched, but it's like my in my tea pockets have to be hand stitched because then it's like I'm <laughs> cutting corners. I know what but, you mean. <laughs> so yeah, so do, do they just like machine stitch some areas that aren't seen? Are you talking about MS specifically? Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that much has changed as far as how much hand stitching or machine stitching they do because the bags were always mm -hmm. mostly machine stitched even you know 20 30 years ago um there's there's parts that are machine stitched and and parts that are hand stitched um yeah, yeah but, so I, I don't think it's so much about that but it's a lot uh, you see a okay. lot of skimping on edge edge finishing are not so great yeah yeah because i was looking at a kelly bag today and because mm -hmm. they have like the piping down the edges mm -hmm. do they is it edge painted on the inside or do they cover it with like a binding it, it depends normally they're just um edge painted inside there were okay. some models i've seen in the past that have like a binding inside usually it was the ones that have a sometimes they did some fabric linings like they did a series of matte croc bags that had had a like a canvas twall interior and those had a binding around around the seams inside yeah um so it it took you a long time to be become full-time in leather work and i know that you mentioned that one of the things in the luxury leather goods is gaining a credibility in that area and also the psych psychology of branding mm -hmm. and it's funny because i know you mentioned that uh you know you're making a crock bag when you were selling the luxury bags and your customers would say you know to sort of tap you on the shoulder or something like that but going into that area of luxury leather goods there's that huge credibility to get how did you sort of gain that um yeah it just comes very slowly there's a friend of mine works as a like a branding consultant. He had his own branding agency, and he was also um, artistic director or creative director for a couple different major brands. So years ago, I talked to him about this, and he said, "You have two ways you can do this. You can either get twenty million and start off with a major marketing campaign, you know." Ton buy your press, get celebrities to carry it, and uh, just really promote it by having a large amount of cash <laughs> to build the image and the brand and the story. Or you can do it with no money organically. It's just going to take you a long, long, long time. And since I didn't have 20 million uh, sitting around, I had to do it the slow way, <laughs> the organic way. Yeah. Um, so I basically just, you know, I had my other business that was supporting me financially. So I would do that business during the day and then evenings into the middle of the night, I would be working on my bags and projects. And then it was just a matter of, um, trying to make a good product. So once I, once I got that down and had, had products that I, I was happy with and liked, um, then it's just kind of, you know, trying to get the word out there, um, you know, how, however you can. I mean, I guess at that time for me it was 
Instagram, also, you know, I had my clients from my other businesses, but as I said, they weren't like so interested because it had, you know, no branding. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's so cute. He's making bags. Um, yeah, the, the big break for me happened when um, someone from Vogue saw, from French Vogue, saw my my first collection of bags and really loved them. And then Vogue did a full page feature on me and pictured a bunch of the bags and everything. And that honestly is what gave me credibility. It didn't change anything about the quality of the bags or how they looked or anything, but it, uh, for, for the public, it gave a, a certain credibility that it's, it's a real brand and they are good. If Vogue is saying it's beautiful and good, then it's good and beautiful. And from there, then, yeah. uh, you know, other people heard about that. I, um, someone who, Thomas Erber, who does these cabinets of curiosities where he takes different designers, both big and small, and does big uh, kind of group exhibitions in different uh, big shops around the world. Um, he, saw it, he saw it in Vogue and then contacted me. And through that, then I was able to sell it Colette in Paris. And it's just, you kind of got to get in there with, with your exposure and just keep going, keep rolling with it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Move to Europe. I think you have that instant <laughs> well, credibility. No, so it's, I, yeah. I, th I think actually that was, that's been a disadvantage and an advantage for me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. From, from early on, of course, you know, when you think of fashion, you think of New York, you think of Paris, you don't think of Zurich. But yeah. Um, and, at the beginning, a lot of people who liked my bags and were in the industry said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta move to New York. You gotta move to Paris or or L.A. or something like that." Because in Switzerland, you know, people may discover you and like you, but then they forget about you because you're not right there. You know, you need to be seen all the time. And if if you know, if a stylist wants to borrow your bag quickly to use on a celebrity, they're not going to go through the hassle of saying, "Hey, there's this guy in Switzerland. Let's." contact him and get him to FedEx us a bag and deal with all, no they want to go run down to the showroom in LA grab what they need have it on their celebrity so for, for me it was a bit of a disadvantage being here away from everyone plus a huge part of it yeah. is all networking you know you want to be friends with the journalists with the the stylists with the celebrities themselves whatever it that all can happen much easier when you're in LA or New York or Paris in Zurich it's uh yeah it's a it's a different ball game here so on the one hand that was a big disadvantage on the other hand it was maybe an advantage because it was something different and unique and there's not a lot of competition here in switzerland um so maybe i stand yeah. i stand out a little bit more because it's different so yeah it was important to me to live here in switzerland i really i really like it here i didn't want to move so i figured i just have to yeah. make it make it work somehow is Switzerland more famous for like watches and all that? Because because I would think Switzerland yeah. as a as a luxury sort of country, so to speak, with good brands and no, it it does have the main reputation Switzerland has is for quality. So of course we have yeah. cheese and chocolate and watches and all that, but but it's known for quality. So it's already you know a really great uh, from a branding perspective, it's really great to have made in Switzerland as part of the brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is because I, I had like a consultation with like a a business guy, and it was actually quite interesting to get his because I from a crafter's perspective, you sort of don't really 
you do think about the business side of it, but you don't really think that much into it. And I remember I showed him this leather bag and he asked how much it would cost and sort of just picked a rough number out of my head. And I was like, you know, 2000 and he was, he sort of made a similar sort of, uh, comparison because he said that, you know, like these luxury brands, they might be selling a bag at that price and you're just like this new kid, like new guy on the block. They're more inclined to go for that established brand. So sort of getting that, it's good that you got that credibility when you did, because uh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's honestly, that was the, the biggest lesson for me to learn at the beginning was how much of it has to do with the credibility and the branding part. Cause I naively thought that, Oh, all I have to do is just make like really great quality, like the best quality product you can imagine. And people are going to be like, buy it because it's so well-made and so beautiful. And I very quickly found out that that pretty much didn't help at all. That's kind of like something you've got to have already and no one cares about it. And then you got to like, do the branding and promotion yeah, and yeah. have, have that as, as, as the backup to show that like, yeah, the product also is very good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how did you decide which, like which products to make? Because, you know, you don't have a huge, you know, means of production of like employees and all that. So how did you narrow down the scope of the products like, of the well, collection? Honestly, I just made what I wanted to make at the beginning. Um, I had, I started, okay. when I officially started, I started two different brands. One was Peter Nitz, where I made everything myself by hand. The other brand was called Van Aston, and that was just a, a made-up name. Um, there I did like a full collection, um, and I had it produced in a factory and everything like that. So with that brand... Um, there were two of us that ran that brand and it was more like supposed to be more like the commercial brand where we thought about that kind of stuff. Like, you know, what's going to be good for the next season, what colors, you know, what models. And then for Peter Nitz, that was really just an outlet for me to make exactly what I wanted to make. It wasn't really originally intended to be like a big brand or something like that. It was, it was more just like, I didn't have to worry about anything. I just made what I wanted to make for that. And then the other part, we thought mm -hmm. the other brand, Van Aston, we thought about like, you know, what what the market wanted or what the current trends were. So yeah, from the beginning, the yeah. minutes stuff was just what I felt like making. Yeah. Do you still have that other brand? Um, no, we stopped it, kind of like absorbed it <laughs> together into one um, maybe okay, yeah. four or five years ago. Um, so the, you know, obviously we don't do any outside manufacturing for Peter Nitz. It's still made in Switzerland, but I also do corporate gifting. And so that's kind of where the Van Aston part translated into the Peter Nitz corporate gifting thing. So, you know, for, for companies and stuff, I'll do, um, you know, I'll make the, the original pieces in the atelier and then for production, it's outsourced to a factory. Okay. So what sort of like corporate gifts, like little coasters or key rings? Yeah, whatever they want, for example. Or a bit more better. <laughs> yeah. For example, okay, I, yeah. I did one for Bucher, which is a, a jewelry store that they have jewelry stores all over Europe. And 
we did um, I think three different items for them it was a passport wallet a luggage tag and a credit card wallet so small leather goods and it was it was gifts that they would give out internally or to VIP customers or as Christmas gifts to clients things like that but it can be anything that yeah. the, the companies the companies want yeah uh, what's it, so? What's your favorite leather? Would that be alligator? Um, that's such a hard one to say. I, I, I actually, I think I really like lizard the most. I don't do that much in lizard because it's also a bit limited since the skins are generally so small and you don't get that many orders for lizard. But uh, I think probably my favorite is lizard. It's 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 hard to yeah. say. It's hard to say. Lizard, elephant, and yeah. alligator probably come in very close as my top three favorites. Have you used kangaroo before? That was I one ha- of my I first haven't. leathers. I... I haven't. Yeah. I do have a, I have a kangaroo uh... skin in my atelier that someone gave me, like, really, when I first started working leather, someone gave me a kangaroo skin with has the fur on it still. But I've never used it. It's just oh, still, okay, yeah. still rolled up there. Um, so chrome tan, veg tan versus combination tan in bags. Um, what's your preferred? Cause yeah. Cause I guess like there has chrome tan gets a bit of a bad rap in the, you know, the in the sort community. of main, yeah, we always like when we, when we learn leather craft, it's like chrome tan's bad. <laughs> like don't use it. But, uh, as you, as you sort of, when you use like, I made a bag out of combination. Te- I made a bag out of um, Halloween Essex, and that was mm-hmm. quite cool because it was a bit supple, but it creased a bit. But then I made a bag out of combination tan, and you definitely see a difference, like how it flex sure. a bit, like how easy it just. Um, do custom do customers really care about that sort of stuff, or is that just more of a leather community thing? Well, they get they, so hung up on the. Yeah, they do care. They care in terms not so technical like people in the leather community think about it but they just care in terms of of how it looks and how it feels and generally chrome tan is way 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 more popular than veg tan at least for the for the high end in the high end luxury market um yeah it just has it's more let's say more fashiony or more trendy you know the the veg tan stuff tends to be in general more classic and traditional um it also usually if it's box calf or something like that you know it scratches easier it's more of a patina and a lot of customers today they want something with the grain they want something that is resistant to scratches they don't want to see a patina i mean i love all those things for me that's part of what leather is and what makes it beautiful uh, yeah. A lot, a lot of people don't want that. So, the reason I don't work so much with veg tan is because that's not what people are asking me for. They main, yeah. and I don't, I don't even say like, "Hey, would you like this veg tan leather? Would you like this chrome tan?" I just show them the different leathers, and they, they always gravitate towards the, usually the grained leathers, the soft, supple leathers, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's one thing I have thought about. Like, it's maybe it's the. The fact that it doesn't age, it just sort of maintains its look. And Chrome, you'd have to do a lot more, more reinforcement with. Is there much of a difference between Chrome and Combination? 
Um, you know, I have been using the combination was, that I use normally is Nova Napa or Barania leather. Um, yeah. And no, there's not like a, yeah, it's really, you feel it's like half chrome and half veg tan. It has a bit of the characteristics of both. It's pretty easy to work with. When I yeah. have to work with the uh, veg tan, it's always the biggest trouble is always when you want to skive or with a machine or something like that, because it's always so much harder to do. Um, it's yeah. like takes so much more power from the machine. Um, yeah. But the, the nice thing about veg tan is you can really work precisely with it because it, it usually is um, the structure is so tight. Yeah and firm you can crease perfectly you know you can stitch perfectly you can you know you cut something and it's staying exactly those panels are exactly in the same shape and chrome tan it's always moving around a little bit of course you have more room yeah. for room like for beveling, air. it just it yeah yeah a bevel uh, just goes like straight through a veg tan yeah what is the difference between the nova napa and the baronil because I've, I've thought about getting some of that baronil is there much of a, and there's like always like a description comparing the two. Is well, there, well, it's one better in certain cases or? Well, Nova Napa is from Tannery Haas. Baronil is from Dagerman. Yeah. And now they have joined together as one company. So I, I suspect there isn't much of a difference really anyway. It was just two different... I mean, I don't, I don't know, like the official inside technical details, but from what I understand, yeah. you know, each tannery has their own formula for how they produce it. And so I'm sure at Tannery Haas, their Nova Napa has one formula and at Dagerman, the Baronil has a very, very similar formula. So there wasn't, Yeah. I mean, I've used both there. Of course, it are some slight differences, but nothing nothing major even within you know tannery haas has many different variations on their novo napa anyway yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make a huge a huge difference yeah hermes used them both in the past and called them all, all barania leather so you know they didn't differentiate yeah differentiate it at a you know at, at a retail end yeah because that's where i saw it like the or i heard about it and then I, I remember i did see it on a hermes bag so oh, that's a nice leather but then um yeah it looks it looks really nice but then it's like a, yeah you don't want to like yeah does it does it scratch it looks like it scratches a bit yeah yeah but that's you know it's one of those things that the first scratch is painful and then after a while <laughs> you don't even see them anymore and they all blend together and it's really really beautiful and yeah. you know, you're always afraid that if it gets scratched, it's going to look trashy, but actually it, it doesn't at all. It looks fantastic. What's the maximum thickness you'd go with a bag, like for a main panel? 2.4. When I was... Okay. Yeah, because I was looking at getting some, and I think they, they didn't have an... I went to the tannery and emailed them, and they said it was like 2 to 2.2 2 or 2.4 or whatever and because yeah. i don't have like a splitter to like stick it through it's like oh would that be too thick for it so that'd be fine for an inside out bag sure yeah that's that's the like the max okay the max i would go <laughs> for that yeah there's always the trade-off you know the thicker it is the more beautiful it's going to look 
the way it like moves and sinks and wears it just looks a bit more luxurious yeah. but then of course you've got the weight to it so you can split it a lot thinner um but then it has a different hand to it and a different look it just depends on what your project you do, is and what you want it to look like do you have to do less reinforcements then like the thicker it is sure uh, well again it depends on on how you how you want it to look in the end i okay. mean i'll still even yeah. use if it's for certain things uh, if it's a briefcase and you know you're using the full 2.2 or 2.4 thickness i'll still do, still do a reinforcement in some parts of it because even with that thickness it still isn't stiff it still needs some sort of structure inside to keep a shape if that's what the client wants if they if they want it to keep its form or whether they want it to be like a completely yeah. soft structured bag but yeah with, with gussets would have to if you did a briefcase the gussets they have to be like thinner compared oh, yeah, to the yeah. main a lot, panel a lot thinner yeah. yeah yeah um so with like linings because you you're quite limited on linings uh especially on like on bigger bags do you mm -hmm. sort of like are you more of like a canvas lining or never leather Always goat, always goat skin. Goat skin or okay. occasionally I use calf. If I do a, my terrazzo calf as a lining, then I use calf. But otherwise, it's all goat skin. Yeah. But how do you get it on like a bigger bag, though? Like if you, you did splice, a... You splice it together. In fact, I just, oh, okay, I yeah. just got my uh, latest tutorial back from editing, and it's on splicing. So and in it I show you how to yeah. splice how to splice large panels together so you can do a, a goatskin lining on a big bag. Oh, I have to buy that because I I made a duffel. I'll show you this little duffel bag and uh, I did it on goatskin, but mm. obviously it wasn't enough. Like I couldn't fit it all in, so I'm not sure you did. Get my phone. I had to improvise the top. Okay. Uh, you, you added a, an extension? So I added like a, so where the, the goat skin meets there and like another piece and then I just like stuck a piece and like another separate goat yeah, skin. sometimes you have to get creative. But uh, I hand stitched all that and that took ages. And then after that I was like, I need a sewing machine. <laughs> so. And did you make the sewing I made machine? a bag that had a canvas. Yeah, yeah. The only thing was, is um, the it's so annoying when you if you so if you you set the tension correctly, mm -hmm. but then if you drop to a thinner leather, the tension gets like whacked out. Mm -hmm. So when I did this bag with a canvas lining, the tension was completely out. Like you could see the knot at the top. Right. So when I'd go to the 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 lining, it would uh, but it was like a practice bag to get better and all that. So. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll ask you on this before I forget. So one of the things... <laughs> so, because I like the uh, when the zipper goes straight to the end. Uh-huh. Do you have to have, like, a piece of leather that... Like, how does the zipper go to the end? Do you have to have this separate piece of leather further down where it connects to the piping, or...? I, do you... I can't, can't sit so well. You have a... Do you have a piece of leather there on the end? Yeah, I got it. 
Yeah, I have a piece of leather, but it's sort of... It, okay. I, I fixed it pretty badly. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to put any leather there at the go. end. If you want it to go further down, then you can just run the zipper all the way through to the piping. But won't there be, like, a gap for it to pop up? So you'd, you'd run the zipper you need, straight, so... Yeah, well, you need to you need to leave a little bit... This is a tricky calculation. I have it on my, my Nui duffel the same. You need to leave just enough yeah. tape that when you do the flip of the bag, that it has enough that when you hammer it on the piping and everything, that it can the tape can fold over, and then the zipper starts laying flat. Okay. So you have, like, a little bit of leather before the... There's the, no leather. Um... There's no leather at the end. There's no leather tab. Okay. It just, it just go. The zipper tape just goes directly in. Oh, in fact, okay. the, the okay, leather the is going to make it more difficult to bend and flip around there. If you have just the tape, yeah. then it's very thin and it can fold, fold over on itself really easily. Oh, okay, so you don't. Do you have to continue? Like because you you, you break all the teeth off of it. Do you have to continue? Uh, like, where do you tuck in that tape? It just gets sewn right into the seam, just like... Uh, okay. Just right in along the piping. What I do, I do put a, a piece of leather on the back side. If, if you're looking in, if you have the bag inside out, um, and you have, let's say, the, the gusset panel, um, the piping, and then you have the front and back panels with your zipper tape coming right here on the back side of that zipper tape you need to put a little piece of leather because you want to first of all you're using uh, the awl you don't want to cut into the zipper tape and just have it raw so it can fray you want to have a piece of leather glued to the back so you have something really like stable that you can stitch it down to and then when you flip it okay. inside out it has that leather behind it and the leather from the gusset and the piping all together and that holds it in place the only tricky thing wow. is just getting that exact calculation that depends on your pattern and how big your piping is and all that. You have to do a test so that when you flip it and hammer it down, but the, the zipper is really like, you know, it's not bowing up and then going down. It really bends over, and then the metal starts and going straight. Yeah, wow. Because bag, that bag originally had, like, two zippers with two stop two zipper stops and when mm. I flipped it inside out the zipper stops just went like flung off and then one zipper came off so yeah, that's, I'm that's stuck the, with the one zip. That's the absolute worst and the most nerve-wracking part because you have to that zipper end stop has to be tight enough that it's not going to pop off when you flip it or slide down further but it can't be so tight that you're cutting into the fabric and then the fabric rips that's it's really yeah. it's really a, a tricky balance to get the exact tension yeah. on that. Because the the bottom's reinforced with like thick veg tan, so I'm not sure mm -hmm. if that just made it easier to ping the the zipper stops off as it came through. Yeah, the the harder the bag <laughs> is to flip, the more pressure goes right on the end of those. You got to be like yeah. really, really, really careful with that. <laughs> but uh, it's easier. It's it's hard for you to explain it, but if I guess if I saw it, it would make a lot more sense. Yeah, this, isn't, this yeah. isn't the best format to explain. Yeah, <laughs> some techniques. Well, at least I at least I know that you don't need a piece of leather there. You can run the zipper to the end. It's just the exactly other part that is the part. I'm, I have to listen to it to 
re have to re-listen to it to try and get it. You can um, also watch the new Duffel tutorial. I show it all in there. Yes, all that. <laughs> also, the difference the, is if, that. if you want the zipper to like literally unzip to the end, then it also makes a difference what zipper you use. For example, if you use a YKK zipper, their end stops are bigger, so the, the slider always stops against um, the end, the end piece. And Riri, their mm -hmm. end stops are smaller, and the slider slides back over on top of, like, it actually goes into it. So that also makes a difference, depending on what you want. If I had my other bag with me, I have, th I have three bags that I've made. Two of them, the zipper stops all came off, and one of them, the zipper stop actually came on. And I don't I actually stayed on it. I don't have it with me, so I can't check. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Riri runs, they're so little, the stoppers, like, they're, mm -hmm. they're so tight. Do you prefer Riri, like, Riri, or the Excelia, the white, is there a YKK, pro and between the two? Mm, yeah, they're, they're very, very similar. They're both really good. Um, I use, I use uh, Riri because it's very convenient for me, being made in Switzerland. I have them right here. But YKK is also yeah. great. They just have a, a slightly different yeah. feel, a slightly different feel to them. But they're both really good. I know you'd think it'd be easy <clears> to <throat> find zippers, but like it's so hard to. For, well, to you, find know, like a, you know, a salt. Yeah, I think here. You know, when I started my online shop, I was very excited to sell Riri, um, Symmetrica zippers, so the high their high end zipper. Um, and I mm -hmm. thought, because you couldn't buy them anywhere online, it was like impossible to find them. And I thought they would sell like crazy. I sell some, but not tons. And I, I realized most people just don't want to pay <laughs> the price for the expensive ones. That's why um, you can buy the normal Riri metal zipper everywhere, the basic one. You can find it anywhere online, but I guess that's the reason why you don't find the symmetrical one online is just because in the end most people are happy with the less expensive one i always assume everyone wants the very yeah. best quality of everything but not everyone actually is or wants to pay for it or can pay for it so well, well, and that's the and that's the thing with zippers as well is they're such a they're so finicky as well like you have to make sure they're like a nicely set zipper Mm -hmm. Is like is beautiful, but then if mm -hmm. you if you ruin it, like I've done with my my two bags here, it's like oh, I just wasted all this money buying good re like these stoppers that I've like bent in place. So what's yeah. the what's those ones? I've never heard of them. The I thought the normal Riri ones were the, the normal Riri ones. The normal Riri model is called metal. Um, the high the high yeah. end version is called Symmetrica. Mm -hmm. they, they also have another one, high-end one called Star. Um, it's a, it's very, very beautiful. It's a little bit tighter to open and close, and it's a little bit sharp sometimes. But it's very decorative and very beautiful. But the the classic one that looks very similar to the YKK Excella is the Riri Symmetrica. Those are the ones. Is that the, that, same the only style? one I sell on my website is is the Symmetrica Symmetrica one. And that's the, so the the and those ones go over the zipper the stop so yeah the, the same if you, ones if you have the okay, if yeah. you have the slider it it slides over the end stop oh, okay yeah 
When Does that mean that, that's bag, actually a good? That's actually a, like a good trick I use to make sure it's down tight enough. Is because if it doesn't slide over, then you haven't squeezed the prongs together enough, and you just so I try and get it squeezed down just enough that the the slider fits right over it. Okay, that that doesn't matter. That doesn't make a huge. You still put the zipper stop in the same place, regardless of if it's wild KK or Riri, when you yeah. make that. Yeah. Okay, it's just a little thing to. to it's take just a note yeah, it's of. just whether when you open it, you want the the zipper to stop in front of the stop, or if you want it to slide over. Honestly, almost no. Yeah. I don't think anyone has ever noticed that unless you're actually making or installing zippers yourself. No one sees that. Yeah. How do natural reinforcements, canvas slash leather, compare to synthetics? For reinforcement, like Sauber. Yeah, like I'm, I've never used Sauper before. What do you use? Uh, I've just used... What have I used? I've used, like, uh, cotton or linen. When I made those, I, when I made those, that duffel bag, uh, that sort of carry-on sort of bag, I didn't use any for the combination tan. What were you, uh, what were you using base, reinforcement with, for? What was what effect were you trying to get with it? I just mean in general. So like with stretch resistance, mm-hmm. is there <laughs> is there different types of reinforcements you would use for like a duffel like this compared to obviously like you wouldn't use Sauper for like a right no with something like that I would use no. I would use Salpa or bonded leather um, in the the upper the upper part. Um, just as to give oh, it like. some structure, exactly like the first maybe six or seven centimeters down from the zipper, that whole section would get a reinforcement so that um, does it, does it the bag like needs a, yeah it needs a little bit of structure yeah that also after you're carrying it for a while the, the there's about this much leather sticking up past where the handles attach that part will start to fold in yeah if you don't have a reinforcement there and you want it to kind of stay up to keep it, to keep a nice silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, okay. That, but yeah, this is reinforced with like a, like thick, like some leather down yeah. the bottom. It's probably a bit too long. But if you, you don't need it, do you have to like, if you use like a combination, a chrome tan, do you have to use like a, like a polyester or whatever to, across the whole thing to stop it stretching? No, I mean, I wouldn't use on like a, a big leather if I had the full thickness. I don't use anything on the back to keep it. It shouldn't stretch. Okay. Clearly. No. Yeah. Okay. Could you use Sauper as a, this is my knowledge, as you can see in this sort of area. Can you use it for a base or is that? Sure. sure. Okay. Sometimes I use like so multiple you... layers, multiple layers of it as a base. I mean, you can use, we use kind of interchangeably box calf leather and Salpa as our reinforcements um it also depends on whether like for example on on places where the edge will be exposed it's easier to use a box calf reinforcement because you're going to have an easier time finishing the edge it, the the natural leather is going to take the edge paint easier than if you have a layer of sulfur in between there sometimes the edge paint doesn't stick as well to it. it's harder to get a an edge at the beginning going so those are i think for us the main the main different or the main different reasons why we'd use one or the other. 
but we use them interchangeably. Yeah. The one thing we would never use is like Texon or something like that. I would never. That stuff is trash, in my opinion. So that it doesn't really make a big difference, like the the longevity of the leather base compared to the Sauper base is sort of not a huge. No, the thing is, oftentimes you can get it a bit stiffer. If you're using Selpa, you can get different stiffnesses. And maybe the veg tan leather you're using can be quite heavy and thicker, and you can't get it as stiff as you want it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of times it has to do with uh, with what the, what your needs are for it. If you need it to, you know, if you need yeah. it to be really, really stiff, sometimes a natural leather, you can't do it with that. Yeah. So with those handles when you make, what's what do you what's the reinforcement you put in the middle? A leather cord. Oh, oh no, the um do you use like a reinforcement for the handles? You mean glued to the leather? Yeah. Yeah, we use either um oh, okay. Salpa or box calf. Like I said, I think we often use box calf in the tutorials oh, so I use salpa. Um, now we use a lot of box calf just because it's, it's just easier to finish the edges. The edge paint sticks better to the, yeah. to the box calf leather. Yeah. It's a bit more work because okay. you got to prepare, you know, you got to prepare the surface of the box calf, you know, you got to sand it so that it adheres to the, the exterior leather and all that. With the salpa you can just glue in. What's box calf? Is that just a... Yeah, veg tan leather. It's just a, a type of leather. It's um, oh, okay, a very, yeah. very traditional leather. It's usually kind of has a, a semi-shiny or like a satin finish surface, yeah. completely smooth calf leather. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing because when you... the These are like the little things that you can't find on YouTube. Like you can find how to make a minimal, minimalist wallet... But then when you get down to these, like, nitty-gritty, like, the reinforcements is like, whoa, that's... So many things I, I would not have expected. Well, the in um, a, bag, a bag lives entirely from its reinforcements. And yeah. shock shockingly, especially a lot of big brands as well, don't understand anything about reinforcements and how the bags are made is horrific. As far as yeah. in internally, like maybe it looks really nice on the shelf and it's presented well, but how it's going to live after a while is it's going to collapse and not look good because uh, the person, the technician who who designed it, uh, the production has no idea about reinforcements. Yeah, I'll show you this this bag quickly that I made because I want to because now we're talking about rein, reinforcements. Because I noticed that when I was first using this bag, it was quite good, but then as it over time, it's sort of uh, it's uh, gotten a bit shaggy. So I was just wondering if, if I have done something wrong since we're talking about reinforcements. So it's made out of combination tan, and like it's you probably can't. Anyway, it's it's meant to stay straight. Up. But I noticed that when I use it. Mm -hmm sort of pulls up like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, is you... that a craftsman's yeah. error? Well, that... what you should do is have 
uh, reinforcement, like a, a non-stretched tape, no non-ripped tape, kind of have a strip of that that gets stitched behind the patches that run the length of the bag and the end of it gets stitched into the bottom of the bag so that all right now when you carry that bag all the pressure is right where those patches are everything is hanging off those patches but if you run these the non-stretch uh, strips down there whether it's tape or you can also find some some um, can very thin canvas straps and stitch that behind there and then into the bottom of the bag then all of the weight from the handles is supported from the base and not pulling actually right where okay. the handles attach. So sort of like that thick. Exactly. Just a strip that runs straight down. So it's stitched. It's only stitched where the patch is and then stitched yeah. in the bottom seam of the bag. And that supports all the weight of the bag. So, so it gets stitched into the, uh, with the piping. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And to stop it sagging, that would help that. Yeah, I mean, that then it won't pull up. It won't make this, like, sagging effect. Yeah. How did you learn all this? Like, was it just trial and error? or Taking bags apart. You... Yeah. Take, taking bags apart and seeing what was inside. Wow. That's amazing. Um... Yeah, cause, cause, because I've previously I always thought like, oh, like reinforcement, it sort of, it ruins the piece because you have to put all this stuff in and you're sort of trying to prop up the bag instead mm -hmm. of just letting it. But I think after this conversation, you, you've definitely chased it because, yeah, I've I've walked with it and it's like, man, it looks so ugly when I walk past a, a shop front and it's like, what is this? Like, I've spent all this time and it just isn't, wow. No, reinforcements um, is a really fascinating so good really fascinating topic because there's you can control so much so many fine details about a bag can be controlled by how the interior reinforcements are, are crafted or sculpted like there's so much going on i also learned so much more since julian my craftsman started working at peter nitz you know he worked at hermes for five years and so he made some of the more complicated bags there. And so, of course, he brought with him lots of good information for, like, really detailed technical things about um, reinforcements and interior skivings and all that kind of stuff that's really amazing. It's For me, that's one of the most fascinating parts is how to, how to do all the, the construction inside the bag that no one sees because it really has yeah. such, a, such a dramatic effect on the outside of the bag once it's done and mm. no one no one knows it's there i couldn't agree more now <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah wow that's remarkable good quality is so accessible today like what makes luxury goods stand out um yeah that's true even even some really more inexpensive leathers are made so well that they look really, really good. So there's lots of options for leather out there. So what makes something stand out is just going to be obviously the craftsmanship. But for me, the biggest thing is proportions. It's proportions on a bagger, everything. And you see a lot of bags out there that could be nice, but the proportions are off. Like the handle, the handles are too long or too thick. 
Yeah, but that's something you either yeah. see, see or you don't see. So proportions, <laughs> proportions for me is something really major that makes something stand out to me, whether yeah. it's good or not. So I guess why did you decide to teach and a bit about your online courses? I decided to teach because so many people kept asking me if I could teach. They wanted to learn how, and there weren't really any good options out there unless you spoke French and could go to a French school. There was pretty much nowhere else in the world where you could learn this style of, you know, French luxury leatherworking. You can go to Florence and learn there, but that's also a completely different style of leatherworking and not as elevated technically as the French way of doing it. So I, I basically just started because people, there was the demand for it and people wanted it. Um, mm -hmm. It also helped supplement my income while I was uh, building up the brand because it takes a long, long time until you can live from uh, selling your own your own brand. It takes a while until it catches yeah, on. Exactly. So, and then the tutorials just stemmed from that because they're, you know, of course it's expensive to come train with me. Um, and there were a lot of people that didn't either couldn't afford or didn't have the time to take off of work or they weren't able to travel because of any number of reasons. They have families, whatever. Um, so I thought a tutorial tutorials would be a good way that people could access this knowledge from home without having to travel or have huge expenses. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to look at that newly duffel bag one, that's for sure. <laughs> that that's a good one. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff in that because, you know, we go from the beginning to the end of making a complete bag, so you get everything in there from reinforcements and piping and all kinds of handles and there's all kinds yeah. of stuff in there. Do you do, the, do you do the reinforcement for the top six centimeters or...? Yep. Yes, definitely. Yeah. They're actually, okay. actually oh, I think awesome. I think we don't in the that one I don't go over how to make the handles because that's a separate tutorial. And if you're making the new definitely you should already know how to make handles because it's yeah. <laughs> a pretty advanced project. But all all the reinforcements and stuff I go into detail in that. Okay. No, awesome. Now th thanks for your time, uh, Peter. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me.